with that beautiful anthem in our hearts and minds now we come to the gospel lesson for this morning gospel according to saint john chapter 3 starting in the 14th verse i invite you as you're able to stand for the reading and as moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness so must the son of man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. And the people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. The Gospel of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. It's difficult sometimes to know when we need to turn and go a different direction. Turn around? Should I? Should I not? Why should I? Before the era of GPS, I was driving with a friend. We were having a great conversation westward in South Dakota on our way to visit Mount Rushmore. Before long, we were having trouble finding the country road that we needed to turn south on to get to the mountain. And we looked and we looked and the roads just weren't matching up with the names on our map. There was a good reason for that. We quickly realized we were no longer in South Dakota. (laughs) Our conversation had taken us off path and we were not just a little bit, but many, many miles into the great state of Wyoming. So you guessed it, we had to turn around. Then, a few years later, many years later, in the great state of Texas, I was leading a fundraiser with a bunch of youth, and we were sending parents and kids off in multiple cars to multiple homes, and I'd passed out GPS units for each car, and they inputted the house number and street and city, and went off and were then to return back to the church. And one of those cars were delayed. Thanks to technology, I was able to call and find out why they were almost 60 minutes late coming back. And they said, oh, don't worry. We've, we're just a couple of moments away from getting to the house. And I said, well, that's funny because the house you were going to was just a few minutes away from the church. And we quickly realized they'd put in the correct house number and the correct street into their GPS that they were faithfully following, but they put in the wrong city. So they were way off the mark, and you guessed it, 
they had to turn around. In both circumstances, it required a turnaround, a new course, a new coordinates, really. Not in part, in some cases, in full. Jesus, we discover today in today's gospel, provides a roadmap, a means, the way to come to life. Because of God's great love for us, He invites us to turn around and come to Him. Sometimes our coordinates are just a little bit off, but that little bit takes us far away from Him. And sometimes we have to turn completely around. In both cases, we need to turn to Him. And what we discover in today's Gospel is that that old rescue mission sign is still true today. It is true. Jesus still saves. And He saves us in so many ways. As we'll unpack these verses, these verses that Luther would call the gospel in miniature that remind us of God's heart for us. We begin with this first promise that Jesus gives us. That Jesus saves us from death. And Jesus does this by giving us an unusual analogy and reference back to Numbers 21. I'm sure very few of us have that passage memorized as a favorite memory verse. You know, the one where the serpent comes and kills people, right? And yet, what's going on here is the people of Israel are going their own way. And God will not stand for it. And so how do they receive life? They receive life when they come to this unusual way of God's plan with the serpent now made on Moses' stick. And when it's lifted up, when it's exalted, and they humble themselves before God, they're saved from death. Rabbis, confused by this story, quickly figured out that this lifting up was not so much about the serpent on the stick, but about the word of God that gave that word. To humble ourselves underneath God's promises. And Jesus picks this up. And He uses this word in Greek that's only used in John for one purpose, except here in this passage. And that purpose is to reference Jesus being lifted up on the cross. Jesus being lifted up on the cross. What's Jesus doing by turning this account into a parable? He's telling us that now God is saving us not by lifting up the word of Moses or the staff, but God is now saving us by lifting God Himself up on the cross. Jesus is lifted up on the cross for us. Salvation, the means, the roadmap is now found in Christ alone. Death has come to an end. Instead of a period at the end of the sentence of death, Jesus adds three dots, dot, 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 to be continued. Jesus is giving us new life. And Jesus here 
by saying he's the one that's lifted up. He's the one that brings salvation. Isn't just saying he's bringing a new rabbinic teaching or a new law. He's doing more than that. He's saying he himself embodies the law. He himself is God. He himself is the one you will humble under this exalted one, the exalted one on the cross. He's claiming to be God. And so either his roadmap is correct in the right way, or it's wrong. The disciples who followed Jesus had an interesting advantage. As I heard one scholar talk about it, they had this first eyewitness advantage account to know if what Jesus was talking about was the truth or a lie. At first, after he'd been lifted up on the cross, they were devastated. They thought they'd picked the wrong path. And they thought maybe they would get killed too. So they went in fear and in hiding after Jesus was lifted up. But something happened a few days later that turned their fear into courage. And they'd go out on the streets and preach the good news. Now think about it from their perspective. What would change their mind? Only an eyewitness account of the resurrection of Christ would do that. From seeing the one they thought was the hope dead on a cross, now to seeing him alive and well. As this scholar put it, you might die for a lie that you don't know is a lie, but you'd never put your life on the line for something that you know is a lie. These first disciples had a first-hand witness to help encourage us. They knew the truth, and they were willing to stake their lives on it from hiding to preaching in the streets. This Jesus saves us from death. Martin Luther, on his deathbed, would recount these words of John 3.16 over and over again, and the promise of God escaping death in Psalm 68 as he entered eternal life. So the question becomes, what roadmap are you reading? What coordinates are you plugging in for your life? Have you inputted the right coordinates? Are they based on John 3.16? Do you have the right house number, road, and city? It all points back to this path that Jesus has laid out for us. Jesus saves us from death. But he also saves us from evil. And he references that in an interesting way. When he tells us that for God so loved the world... That word world, translated from the word cosmos in Greek, that word world is interesting for lots of reasons, one of which is every other time it's used and referenced by Jesus and used here, especially in John, but really in many ways throughout the the New Testament, Jesus is talking about it in the negative. This world, don't follow the patterns of this world. This world is broken. This God-forsaken world. The word world is often used as a means to show us those who have gone the wrong direction. 
And now this broken, God-forsaken world is the world that Jesus says he loves. For God so loved this bad, dark, fallen, broken world that he would die for it. People often say to me, uh, if I came to church, if I encounter someone maybe who are going to attend a service for the first time in years because a loved one has passed away and they're coming to a funeral or maybe it's good news and it's a wedding and it's the first time they've been back to worship, I can't tell you how many times I've heard this same phrase. Well, I don't know, Pastor, maybe I should stay back here because if I go in the sanctuary, the walls might fall in. Now, I don't know where, I mean, this phrase comes back to me several times. But here is the truth. Those of us who are broken and sinful and God forsaken, those are the ones that we hear in John 3.16 that Jesus loves. These walls were literally built for those who are broken. And so the walls won't fall in, my friends, because the walls were built by Christ Himself for that very purpose, to proclaim this good news, that evil is not the end. I'll talk more about this on Good Friday this year, that evil does not have the final word. Jesus does. He comes to crush hell, to overcome death, to take away sin and satisfy the law. That's how Luther put it. All we have to do is turn and believe and receive. It's so often hard for us to do that because Jesus doesn't just save us from evil. He doesn't just save us from death. He also saves us from ourselves. We like to plug in our own path, our own coordinates. And when we do that, we miss out on the true path of life. Maybe you remember the story of when electricity was being first uh, introduced to our nation and it was coming across the prairie and one family was excited to have electricity to be the first home in their region in their home. And so people gathered to, to see the lights turned on. This family was only horrified, though, as soon as those lights came on, because now everyone could see the black suit from the lamps on the roof that was covered up by the lack of light. Or maybe in this information age, you'll hear, well, we just have too much information these days, because once that information gets out, it can't go back. We like to be in control of our own darkness. But when the light shines with this information of God's love for us, when the light shines into the darkness, Christ brings hope. But we don't like it sometimes, and so we choose to go a different path. And Jesus talks about that as we get into verse 17 and 18 in this text that we are actually condemning ourselves by rejecting this promise. 
that we are called to, yes, turn around. Not save ourselves. In fact, Paul will, as you heard in Ephesians 2, remind us we can't save ourselves. It's by grace alone, through faith. It's the very work of God, of Jesus being lifted up. Just like the Israelites couldn't save themselves in Numbers 21, we can't save ourselves yet still today. We need the one who is the one true God to do that. And when he does that, when he turns the darkness into light, we don't have to be afraid of our sin any longer because his work on the cross deals with it. It crushes death. It ultimately crushes evil. And our own path, we find wanting, and so he saves us from ourselves. Which means he also saves us from meaninglessness. He saves us from that, as the Ecclesiastes will remind us of the, the meaninglessness of not life. You know, getting up, going to work, or going to school, or doing our daily tasks, or even in retirement. Getting up and doing that routine, and then watching our favorite show, and then going to bed, and then doing it again. What does this all mean? Well, what Jesus does in giving us this life, he infuses meaning. Because we become bearers of his light. We're not the sun, we're the moon shine, reflecting that light to the, to the world. We now have eternal significance as we reflect his light to the world. As Ephesians will end its reading, we become God's, in his image, workmanship. Or work of art, some translations say. For good. And that's what Jesus does. He saves us from meaningless, and then He saves us for good. And we're saved by grace through faith for good works that God prepared beforehand as our way of life. Jesus saves us for good, not for God's sake. He uses our good works for others. And so Jesus saves us for good and for others. Not to save ourselves, but to then glorify our Father in heaven. Matthew 5.16 says, and we say it at baptism, in the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And so we're saved for good, we're saved for others, and we're saved in doing that for the glory of God. This life now is infused with meaning. Saved from the brokenness of this world, this world that Jesus loves. Let's unpack this miniature gospel, this gospel in a nutshell as some call it, one more time. Now putting all these pieces together that we've talked about from scholars and from the Word and from Jesus Himself. But hear it again. For God so loved the, what? The God-hating, forsaken world. That while we were yet sinners, He loved us. And He gave His only Son. That is the one true God who was with God in the beginning. Who all things came from. This God, this Son. That whoever, that's all of us, whoever would believe in Him, 
Believe in the one who is exalted. Put our trust in him. Our lives would be saved from death and evil and meaningless and saved for good and for others and for his glory. May we not perish because death now dies with his work on the cross, but have eternal life, dot, 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 to be continued. This God, this Word made flesh, this one who went to the cross for us, the one we'll celebrate on Easter who rose from the dead, the one, like the disciples, we can stake our lives on and share that good news with others. Yes, this Jesus saves. Amen.